0: the heart of little shikara an o henry memorial award prize story of 1921 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the heart of little shikara by edison marshall from everybody's part one if it hadn't been for a purple moon that came peering up above the dark jungle just at nightfall it would have been impossible to tell that little shikara was at his watch he was really just the color of the shadows a rather pleasant brown he was very little indeed and besides he was standing very very still if he was trembling at all from anticipation and excitement It was no more than Naha, the tiger, trembles as he crouches in ambush, but the moon did show him peering down through the leaf clusters of the heavy vines, and shone very softly in his wide-open dark eyes. And it was a purple moon, no other color that man could name. It looked almost unreal, like a paper moon painted very badly by a clumsy stagehand the jungle moon quite often has that peculiar purplish tint most travelers know but few of them indeed ever try to tell what causes it this particular moon probed down here and there between the tall bamboos transformed the jungle just now walking into a mystery and a fairyland glinted on a hard-packed elephant trail that wound away into the thickets and always came back to shine on the coal-black oriental eyes of the little boy beside the village gate it showed him standing very straight and just as tall as his small stature would permit and looked oddly silvery and strange on his long dark hair little shikara son of koda Dunu. Was waiting for the return of a certain idol and demigod who was even now riding home in his howdah from the tiger hunt, other of the villagers would be down to meet Warwick Sahib as soon as they heard the shouts of his beaters. but little Shikara had been waiting almost an hour, likely, if they had known about it, they would have commented on his badness because he was notoriously bad if indeed, as the villagers told each other, he was not actually cursed with evil spirits. In the first place, he was almost valueless as a herder of buffalo. Three times when he had been sent with the other boys to watch the herds in their wallows, he had left his post and crept away into the fringe of the jungle on what was unquestionably some mission of witchcraft. For small naked brown boys, as a rule, do not go alone and unarmed into the thick bamboos. Too many things can happen to prevent them ever coming out again too many brown silent ribbons crawl in the grass or too many yellow striped creatures no less lithe lurk in the thickets but the strangest thing of all and the surest sign of witchcraft was that he had always come safely out again yet with never any satisfactory explanations as to why he had gone he had always looked some way very joyful and tremulous and perhaps even pale if from the nature of things a brown boy ever can look pale but it was the kind of paleness that one has after a particularly exquisite experience it was not the dumb teeth chattering paleness of fear i saw the sergeant of the jungle little shikara said after one of these excursions and this made no sense at all there are none of the king's soldiers here the brown village folk replied to him either thou liest to us or thine eyes lied to thee and didst thou also see the chevron that told his rank that was the way i knew him it was the black bear and he wore the pale chevron low on his throat now, this was little shikara all over of course he referred to the black himalayan bear which all men know wears a yellowish patch of chevron shape just in front of his forelegs but why he should call him a jungle sergeant was quite beyond the wit of the village folk to say their imagination did not run in that direction it never even occurred to them that little shikara might be a born jungle creature expatriated by the accident of birth one of that free strange breed that can never find peace in the villages of men but remember the name we gave him his mother would say perhaps he is only living up to his name for there are certain native hunters in india that are known far and wide as the shikaris and possibly she meant in her tolerance that her little son was merely a born huntsman but in reality little shikara was not named for these men at all rather it was for a certain fleet-winged little hawk a hunter of sparrows that is one of the most free spirits in all the jungle and it was almost like taking part in some great hunt himself to be waiting at the gate for the return of warwick sahib even now the elephant came striding out of the shadows and little shikara could see the trophy the hunt had indeed been successful and the boy's glowing eyes beheld even in the shadows the largest most beautiful tiger skin he had ever seen it was the great nahar the royal tiger who had killed one hundred cattle from nearby fields Warwick sahib rode in his howdah and he did not seem to see the village people that came out to meet him. In truth, he seemed half asleep, his muscles limp, his gray eyes full of thoughts. He made no answer to the triumphant shouts of the village folk. Little Shikara glanced once at the lean, bronzed face, the limp, white, thin hands, and something like a shiver of ecstasy went clear to his ten toes for like so many of the small boys all over the broad world he was a hero worshipper to the last hair of his head and this quiet man on the elephant was to him beyond all measure the most wonderful living creature on the earth he didn't cry out as the others did he simply stood in mute worship his little body tingling with glory warwick saib had looked up now and his slow eyes were sweeping the line of brown faces but still he did not seem to see them and then wonder of wonders his eyes rested full on the eyes of his little worshipper beside the gate but it was quite the way of warwick sahib to sweep his grey tired-out eyes over a scene and seemingly perceive nothing yet in reality absorbing every detail with the accuracy of a photographic plate and his seeming indifference was not opposed with him either he was just a great sportsman Who was also an english gentleman and he had learned certain lessons of impassiveness from the wild only one of the brown faces he beheld was worth a lingering glance and when he met that one his eyes halted in their sweeping survey and warwick sahib smiled that face was the brown eager visage of little shikara and the blood of the boy flowed to the skin and he glowed red all over through the brown it was only the faintest of quiet tolerant smiles but it meant more to him than almost any kind of an honor could have meant to the prematurely gray man in the howdah the latter passed on to his estate and some of the villagers went back to their women and their thatch huts but still little shikara stood motionless and it wasn't until the thought suddenly came to him that possibly the beaters had already gathered and were telling the story of the kill Then, with startling suddenness, he raced back through the gates to the village. Yes, the beaters had assembled in a circle under a tree, and most of the villagers had gathered to hear the story. He slipped in among them and listened with both outstanding little ears. Warwick Sahib had dismounted from his elephant as usual, the beaters said, and with but one attendant had advanced up the bed of a dry creek this was quite like Warwick Sahib, and little Shikara felt himself tingling again. Other hunters, particularly many of the rich sahibs from across the sea, shot their tigers from the security of the Howdah. But this wasn't Warwick's way of doing. The male tiger had risen snarling from his lair, and had been felled at the first shot. Most of the villagers had supposed that the story would end at this point. Warwick Sahib's tiger hunts were usually just such simple and expeditious affairs. The gun would lift to his shoulder, the quiet eyes would glance along the barrel, and the tiger, whether charging or standing still, would speedily die. But today there had been a curious epilogue. Just as the beaters had started toward the fallen animal, and the white heaven born cigarette case was open in his hand, Nahara. Nahar's great tawny mate had suddenly sprung forth from the bamboo thickets She drove straight to the nearest of the beaters. There was no time whatever for Warwick to take aim His rifle leaped like a live thing in his arms But not one of the horrified beaters had seen his eyes lower to the sights and yet the bullet went home They could tell by the way the tiger flashed to her breast in the grass Yet she was only wounded one of the beaters starting had permitted a bough of a tree to whip warwick in the face and the blow had disturbed what little aim he had it was almost a miracle that he had hit the great cat at all at once the thickets had closed around her and the beaters had been unable to drive her forth again the circle was silent thereafter they seemed to be waiting for kuzru one of the headmen of the village to give his opinion he knew more about the wild animals than any mature native in the assembly and his comments on the hunting stories were usually worth hearing we will not be in the honored service of the protector of the poor at this time a year from now he said they all waited tensely shikara shivered speak Kuzru. they urged him warwick Saib will go again to the jungles and nahara will be waiting she owes two debts One is the killing of her mate and ye know that these two Tigers have been long and faithful mates Do ye think she will let that debt go unpaid? She will also avenge her own wound Perhaps she will die of bleeding one of the others suggested Nay or ye would have found her this afternoon Ye know that it is the wounded tiger that is most to be feared one day and he will go forth in pursuit of her again and then ye will not see him riding back so grandly on his elephant perhaps she will come here to carry away our children again shikara tingled hoping that nahara would at least come close enough to cause excitement and that night too happy to keep silent he told his mother of warwick sahib's smile and sometime i i thine own son he said as sleepiness came upon him will be a killer of tigers even as warwick sahib little sparrow hawk his mother laughed at him little one of mighty words only the great sahibs that come from afar and warwick sahib himself may hunt the tiger so how canst thou little worthless I will soon be grown, he persisted, and I, I too will sometime return with such a tiger skin as the great heaven-born brought this afternoon. Little shikara was very sleepy, and he was telling his dreams much more frankly than was his wont. And the village folk will come out to meet me with shoutings, and I will tell them of the shot in the circle under the tree. And where, little hawk, wilt thou procure thine elephants and such rupees as are needed? Warwick Sahib shoots from the ground, and so will I, and sometimes he goes forth with only one attendant, and I will not need even one and Who can say perhaps he will find me even a bolder man than Gunga Singhai, and he will take me in his place on the hunts in the jungles for Gunga Singhai was Warwick Sahib's own personal attendant and gun carrier, the native that the protector of the poor could trust in the tightest places so it was only to be expected that little Shikara's mother should laugh at him the idea of her son being an attendant of warwick sahib not to mention a hunter of tigers was only a tale to tell her husband when the boy's bright eyes were closed in sleep nay little man she told him would i want thee torn to pieces in nahara's claws would i want the smelling of the jungle again as thou didst after chasing the water-buck through the bamboos nay thou wilt be a herdsman like thy father and perhaps gather many rupees but little shikara did not want to think of rupees even now as sleep came to him his childish spirit had left the circle of thatch roofs and had gone on tremulous expeditions into the jungle Far away, the trumpet call of a wild tusker trembled through the moist, hot night, and great bell-shaped flowers made the air pungent and heavy with perfume. A tigress skulked somewhere in a thicket, licking an injured leg with her rough tongue, pausing to listen to every sound the night gave forth. Little Shikara whispered in his sleep. A half mile distant, in his richly furnished bungalow, warwick sahib dozed over his after-dinner cigar he was in evening clothes and crystal and silver glittered on his board but his gray eyes were half closed and the gleam from his plate could not pass the long dark lashes for his spirit was far distant too on the jungle trails with that of little shikara part two one sunlit morning perhaps a month after the skin of nahar was brought in from the jungle warwick sahib's mail was late it was an unheard-of thing always before just as the clock struck eight he would hear the cheerful twingle of the postman's bells at first he considered complaining but as morning drew to an early afternoon he began to believe that investigation would be the wiser course the postman's route carried him along an old elephant trail through a patch of thick jungle besides one of the tributaries of the manipur when natives went out to look he was neither on the path nor drowned in the creek nor yet in his thatched hut at the other end of his route the truth was that this particular postman's bells would never be heard by human ears again and there was enough evidence in the wet mould of the trail to know what had occurred that night the circle under the tree was silent and shivering. Who is next? they asked of one another. The jungle night came down, breathless and mysterious, and now and then a twig was cracked by a heavy foot at the edge of the thickets. In Warwick's house, the great protector of the poor took his rifles from their cases and fitted them together. Tomorrow, he told Gunga Singhai, we will settle for that postman's death. Singhai breathed deeply but said nothing perhaps his dark eyes brightened the tiger hunts were nearly as great a delight to him as they were to warwick himself But while nahara lame from warwick's bullet could no longer overtake cattle She did with great skillfulness avoid the onrush of the beaters Again little shikara waited at the village gate for his hero to return But the beaters walked silently tonight Nor were there any tales to be told under the tree Nahara a fairly respectable cattle killer before had become in a single night one of the worst terrors of India Of course she was still a coward But she had learned by virtue of a chance meeting with a postman on a trail after a week of heart devouring starvation two or three extremely portentous lessons one of them was that not even the little deer drinking beside the manipur died half so easily as these tall forked forms of which she had previously been so afraid she found out also that they could neither run swiftly nor walk silently and they could be approached easily even by a tiger that cracked a twig with every step it simplified the problem of living immensely and just as any other feline would have done she took the line of least resistance if there had been plenty of carrion in the jungle nahara might never have hunted men but the kites and the jackals looked after the carrion and they were much swifter and keener eyed than a lame tiger she knew enough not to confine herself to one village and it is rather hard to explain how any lower creature that obviously cannot reason could have possessed this knowledge Perhaps it was because she had learned that a determined hunt with many beaters and men on elephants invariably followed her killings It was always well to travel just as far as possible from the scene She found out also that just as a doe is easier felled than a horned buck certain of this new kind of game was more easily taken than the others sometimes children played at the door of their huts and sometimes old men were afflicted with such maladies that they could not flee at all all these things nahara learned and in learning them she caused a certain civil office of the british empire to put an exceedingly large price on her head gradually the fact dawned on her that unlike the deer and the buffalo this new game was more easily hunted in the daylight particularly in that tired-out careless twilight hour when the herders and the plantation hands came in from their work. At night the village folk kept in their huts, and such woodcutters and gypsies as slept without wakened every hour to tend their fires. Nahara was deathly afraid of fire. Night after night she would creep round and round a gypsy camp, her eyes like two pale blue moons in the darkness, and would never dare attack and because she was taking her living in a manner forbidden by the laws of the jungle the glory and beauty of her youth quickly departed from her there are no prisons for those that break the jungle laws no courts and no appointed officers but because these are laws that go down to the roots of life punishment is always swift and inevitable thou shalt not kill men is the first law of the wild creatures and everyone knows that any animal or breed of animals that breaks this law has sooner or later been hunted down and slain just like any other murderer the mange came upon her and she lost flesh and certain of her teeth began to come out she was no longer the beautiful female of her species to be sung to by the weaver birds as she passed beneath she was a hag and a vampire Hatred of whom lay deep in every human heart in her hunting range Often the hunting was poor and sometimes she went many days in a stretch without making a single kill and In all beasts high and low This is the last step to the worst degeneracy of all it instills a curious Terrible kind of bloodlust to kill not once but as many times as possible in the same hunt to be content not with one death but to slay and slay until the whole herd is destroyed it is the instinct that makes a little weasel kill all the chickens in a coop when one was all it could possibly carry away and that will cause a wolf to leap from sheep to sheep in a fold until every one is dead nahara didn't get a chance to kill every day so when the opportunity did come like a certain pitiable kind of human hunter who comes from afar to hunt small game she killed as many times as she could in quick succession and the british empire raised the price on her head one afternoon found her within half a mile of warwick's bungalow and for five days she had gone without food one would not have thought of her as a royal tigress the queen of the felines and one of the most beautiful of all living things And since she was still tawny and graceful it would be hard to understand why she no longer gave the impression of beauty It was simply gone as a flame goes and her queenliness was wholly departed too in some vague way She had become a poisonous a ghastly thing to be named with such outcasts as the jackals or hyenas Excessive hunger in most of the fleshying animals is really a first cousin to madness It brings bad dreams and visions and worst of all it induces an Insubordination to all the forest laws of man and beast a Well-Fed wolf pack will run in stark panic from a human being But even the wisest of mountaineers do not care to meet the same gray band in the starving times of winter starvation brings recklessness a desperate frenzied courage that is likely to upset all of one's preconceived notions as to the behavior of animals it also brings so that all men may be aware of its presence a peculiar lurid glow to the balls of the eyes in fact the two pale circles of fire were the most noticeable characteristics of the long tawny cat that crept through the bamboos except for them she would hardly have been discernible at all the yellow grass made a perfect background her black stripes looked like the streaks of shadow between the stalks of bamboo and for one that is lame she crept with an astounding silence one couldn't have believed that such a great creature could lie so close to the earth and be so utterly invisible in the low thickets a little peninsula of dwarf bamboos and tall jungle grass extended out into the pasture before the village, and Nahara crept out clear to its point. She didn't seem to be moving; one couldn't catch the stir and draw of muscles, and yet she slowly glided to the end and then began her weight. Her head sunk low, her body grew tense, her tail whipped softly back and forth with as easy a motion as the swaying of a serpent the light flamed and died and flamed and died again in her pale eyes and soon a villager who had been working in warwick's fields came trotting in oriental fashion across the meadow his eyes were only human and he did not see the tawny shape in the tall grass if anyone had told him that a full-grown tigress could have crept to such a place and still remained invisible he would have laughed he was going to his thatched hut to brown wife and babies, and it was no wonder that he trotted swiftly. The muscles of the great cat bunched, and now the whipping tail began to have a little vertical motion that is the final warning of a spring. The man was already in leaping range, but the tiger had learned in many experiences always to make sure. Still she crouched, a single instant in which the trotting native came two paces nearer, and then the man drew up with a gasp of fright. For just as the clear outlines of an object that had long been concealed in a maze of light and shadow Will often leap with sudden vividness to the eyes the native suddenly perceived the tiger He caught the whole dread picture the crouching form the terrible blue lights of the eyes the whipping tail The gasp he uttered from his closing throat seemed to act like the fall of a firing pin against the shell on the bunched muscles of the animal And she left her covert in a streak of tawny light but nahara's leaps had never been quite accurate since she had been wounded by warwick's bullet months before they were usually straight enough for the general purposes of hunting but they missed by a long way the theoretical center of impact of which artillery officers speak her lame paw always seemed to disturb her balance by remembering it she could usually partly overcome the disadvantage but today in the madness of her hunger she had been unable to remember anything except the terrible rapture of killing this circumstance alone however would not have saved the native's life even though her fangs missed his throat the power of the blow and her rending talons would have certainly snatched away his life as a storm snatches a leaf but there was one other determining factor the burman had seen the tiger just before she leaped and although there had been no time for conscious thought, his guardian reflexes had flung him to one side in a single frenzied effort to miss the full force of the spring. The result of both these things was that he received only an awkward sprawling blow from the animal's shoulder. Of course he was hurled to the ground, for no human body in the world is built to withstand the ton or so of shocking power of a three hundred pound cat leaping through the air the tigress sprawled down also and because she lighted on her wounded paw she squealed with pain it was possibly three seconds before she had forgotten the stabbing pain in her paw and had gathered herself to spring on the unconscious form of the native and that three seconds gave warwick sahib sitting at the window of his study an opportunity to seize his rifle and fire warwick knew tigers and he had kept the rifle always ready for just such a need as this the distance was nearly five hundred yards and the bullet went wide of its mark nevertheless it saved the native's life the great cat remembered this same far-off explosion from another day in a dry creek bed of months before and the sing of the bullet was a remembered thing too although it would speedily return to her her courage fled and she turned and faced into the bamboos in an instant warwick was on his great veranda calling his beaters gunga singhai his faithful gun carrier slipped shells into the magazine of his master's high calibered close-range tiger rifle the elephant sahib he asked swiftly nay this will be on foot make the beaters circle about the fringe of bamboos thou and i will cross the eastern fields and shoot at her as she breaks through but there was really no time to plan a complete campaign even now the first gray of twilight was blurring the sharp outlines of the jungle and the soft jungle night was hovering ready to descend warwick's plan was to cut through to a certain little creek that flowed into the river and with singhai to continue on to the edge of the bamboos that overlooked a wide field the beaters would prevent the tigress from turning back beyond the village, and it was at least possible that he would get a shot at her as she burst from the jungle and crossed the field to the heavier thickets beyond. "'Warwick, Sahib, walks into the teeth of his enemy,' Kazru the hunter, told the little group that watched from the village gate. "'Nahara will collect her debts.' A little brown boy shivered at his words and wondered if the beaters would turn and kick him as they had always done before if he should attempt to follow them it was the tiger hunt in view of his own village and he sat down tremulous with rapture in the grass to watch it was almost as if his dream that he himself should be a hunter of tigers was coming true he wondered why the beaters seemed to move so slowly and with so little heart he would have known if he could have looked into their eyes each black pupil was framed with white human hearts grow shaken and bloodless from such sights as this they had just seen and only the heart of a jungle creature the heart of the eagle that the jungle gods by some unheard of fortune had put in the breast of little shikara could prevail against them besides the superstitious burmans thought that warwick was walking straight to death that the time had come for nahara to collect her debts, Part Three. Warwick Sahib and Singhai disappeared at once into the fringe of jungle, and silence immediately fell upon them. The cries of the beaters at once seemed curiously dim. It was as if no sound could live in the great silences under the arching trees. Soon it was as if they were alone. They walked side by side. Warwick with his rifle held ready. He had no false ideas in regard to this tiger hunt He knew that his prey was desperate with hunger and that she had many old debts to pay and that she would charge on sight The self rage that is felt on missing some particularly fortunate chance is not confined to human beings alone there is an old saying in the forest that a feline that has missed his stroke is like a jackal in dog days and that means and it is not safe to be anywhere in the region with him he simply goes rabid and is quite likely to leap at the first living thing that stirs warwick knew that nahara had just been cheated out of a kill and someone in the jungle would pay for it the gaudy birds that looked down from the tree branches could scarcely recognize the prematurely gray man as a hunter he walked rather quietly yet with no conscious effort toward stealth the rifle rested easily in his arms, and his gray eyes were quiet and thoughtful, as always. Singularly, his splendid features were quite in repose. The Burman, however, had more of the outer signs of alertness, and yet there was none of the blind terror upon him that marked the beaters. "'Where are the men?' Warwick asked quietly. "'It is strange that we do not hear them shouting.' "'They are afraid, Sahib,' Singhai replied the forest pigs have left us to do our own hunting warwick corrected him with a smile forest pigs are brave enough he answered they are sheep just sheep sheep of the plains the broad trail divided like a three tinned candlestick into narrow trails warwick halted beside the center of the three that led to the creek they were obliged to cross just for an instant he stood watching gazing into the deep blue dusk of the deeper jungle. Twilight was falling softly. The trail soon vanished into shadow, patches of deep gloom relieved here and there by a bright leaf that reflected the last twilight rays. A living creature coughed and rustled away in the thickets beside them. There is little use of going on, he said. It's growing too dark. But there will be killings before the dawn if we don't get her first. The servant stood still, waiting. It was not his place to advise his master if we leave her she'll come again before the dawn Many of the herders haven't returned She'll get one of them sure at least we may cross the creek and get a view of the great fields She is certain to cross them if she has heard the beaters in utter silence They went on one hundred yards farther. They came to the creek and both strode in together to ford the water was only knee-deep but warwick's boots sank three inches in the mud of the bottom and at that instant the gods of the jungle always waiting with drawn scimitar for the unsuspecting turned against them singhai suddenly splashed down into the water on his hands and knees he did not cry out if he made any sound at all it was just a shivering gasp that the splash of water wholly obscured but the thing that brought home the truth to Warwick was the pain that flashed vivid as lightning across his dark face, and the horror of death that left its shadow. Something churned and writhed in the mud, and then Warwick fired. Both of them had forgotten Mugger the crocodile that so loves to wait in the mud of a ford. He had seized Singhai's foot, and had already snatched him down into the water when Warwick fired no living flesh can withstand the terrible rending shock of a high-powered sporting rifle at close range mugger had plates of armor but even these could not have availed against it if he had been exposed to the fire as it was several inches of water stood between a more effective armor than a two-inch steel plate on a battleship of course the shock carried through a smashing blow that caused the reptile to release his hold on singhai's leg But before the native could get to his feet he had struck again the next instant both men were fighting for their lives they fought with their hands and warwick fought with his rifle and the native slashed again and again with the long knife that he carried at his belt to a casual glance a crocodile is wholly incapable of quick action these two found him a slashing darting wolf-like thing lunging with astounding speed through the muddied water knocking them from their feet, and striking at them as they fell. The reptile was only half-grown, but in the water they had none of the usual advantages that man has over the beasts with which he does battle. Warwick could not find a target for his rifle, but even human bodies, usually so weak, find themselves possessed of an amazing reserve strength and agility in the moment of need. These men realized perfectly that their lives were the stakes for which they fought, and they gave every ounce of strength and energy they had their aim was to hold the mugger off until they could reach the shore at last by a lucky stroke singhai's knife blinded one of the lurid reptile eyes he was prone in the water when he administered it and it went home just as the savage teeth were snapping at his throat for an instant the great reptile flopped in an impotent half circle partly reared out of the water it gave warwick a chance to shoot a single instant in which the rifle seemed to whirl about in his arms drive to his shoulder and blaze in the deepening twilight and the shot went true it pierced the mugger from beneath tearing upward through the brain and then the agitated waters of the ford slowly grew quiet the last echo of the report was dying when Singhai stretched his bleeding arms about warwick's body caught up the rifle and dragged them forty feet up on the shore it was an effort that cost the last of his strength and as the stars popped out of the sky one by one through the gray of dusk the two men lay silent side by side on the grassy bank warwick was the first to regain consciousness at first he didn't understand the lashing pain in his wrists the strange numbness in one of his legs the darkness with the great white indian stars shining through and then he remembered and he tried to stretch his arm to the prone form beside him the attempt was an absolute failure the cool brain dispatched the message it flew along the telegraph wires of the nerves but the muscles refused to react he remembered that the teeth of the mugger had met in one of the muscles of his upper arm but before unconsciousness had come upon him he had been able to lift the gun to shoot Possibly infection from the bite had in some manner temporarily paralyzed the arm he turned Racked with pain on his side and lifted his left arm in doing so his hand crossed before his eyes and then he smiled wanly in the darkness It was quite like Warwick a sportsman and English gentleman to smile at a time like this even in the gray darkness of the jungle night he could see the hand quite plainly it no longer looked slim and white and he remembered that the mugger had caught his fingers in one of its last rushes he paused only for one glance at the mutilated member he knew that his first work was to see how singhai had fared in that glance he was boundlessly relieved to see that the hand could unquestionably be saved the fingers were torn yet their bones did not seem to be severed temporarily at least however the hand was utterly useless the fingers felt strange and detached he reached out to the still form beside him touching the dark skin first with his fingers and then because they had ceased to function with the flesh of his wrist he expected to find it cold singhai was alive however and his warm blood beat close to the dark skin but he was deeply unconscious and it was possible that one foot was hopelessly mutilated for a moment warwick lay quite still looking his situation squarely in the face he did not believe that either he or his attendant was mortally or even very seriously hurt true one of his arms had suffered paralysis but there was no reason for thinking that it had been permanently injured his hand would be badly scarred but soon as good as ever the real question that faced them was that of getting back to the bungalow walking was out of the question His whole body was bruised and lacerated, and he was already dangerously weak from loss of blood. It would take all his energy, these first few hours, to keep his consciousness. Besides, it was perfectly obvious that Singhai could not walk, and English gentlemen do not desert their servants at a time like this. The real mystery lay in the fact that the Beaters had not already found and rescued them. He wore a watch with luminous dial on his left wrist. And he managed to get it before his eyes and then understanding came to him a full hour had passed since he and his servant had fought the mugger in the ford and the utter silence of an early night had come down over the jungle there was only one thing to believe the beaters had evidently heard him shoot sought in vain for him in the thickets Possibly passed within a few hundred feet of him and because he had been unconscious He had not heard them or called to them and now they had given him up for lost He remembered with bitterness how all of them had been so sure that an encounter with Nahara would cost him his life And would thus be all the more quick to believe that he had died in her talons Nahara had her mate And her own lameness to avenge they had said attributing in their superstition human emotions to the brute natures of animals it would have been quite useless for warwick to attempt to tell them that the male tiger in the mind of her wicked mate was no longer even a memory and that premeditated vengeance is an emotion almost unknown in the animal world without leaders or encouragement and terribly frightened by the scene they had beheld before the village they had quickly given up any attempt to find his body there had been none among them cool-headed enough to reason out which trail he had likely taken and thus look for him by the ford likely they were already huddled in their thatched huts waiting till daylight And then he called in the darkness a heavy body brushed through the creepers and stepping falsely broke a twig he thought at first that it might be one of the villagers coming to look for him but at once the step was silenced warwick had a disturbing thought that the creature that had broken the twig had not gone away but was crouching down in a curious manner in the deep shadows nahara had returned to her hunting part four sometime i too will be a hunter of tigers little shikara told his mother when the beaters began to circle through the bamboos to carry a gun beside warwick sahib and to be honored in the circle under the tree but his mother hardly listened she was quivering with fright she had seen the last part of the drama in front of the village and she was too frightened even to notice the curious imperturbability of her little son but there was no orderly retreat after little shikara had heard the two reports of the rifle at first there were only the shouts of the beaters Singularly high-pitched much running back and forth in the shadows and then a pell-mell scurry to the shelter of the villages For a few minutes there was wild excitement at the village gates Warwick sahib was dead They said they had heard the shots and run to the place of firing and beat up and down through the bamboos and Warwick sahib had surely been killed and carried off by the tigress this dreadful story told most of the villagers went to hide at once in their huts only a little circle of the bravest men hovered at the gate and they watched with drawn faces the growing darkness but there was one among them who was not yet a man grown a boy so small that he could hover unnoticed in the very smallest of the terrible shadow patches he was little shikara and he was shocked to the very depths of his worshipping heart for warwick had been his hero the greatest man of all time and he felt himself burning with indignation that the beater should return so soon and it was a curious fact that he had not as yet been infected with a contagion of terror that was being passed from man to man among the villagers perhaps his indignation was too absorbing an emotion to leave room for terror and perhaps far down in his childish spirit he was made of different stuff he was a child of the jungle and perhaps he had shared of that great imperturbability and impassiveness that is the eternal trait of the wilderness he went up to one of the younger beaters who had told and retold a story of catching a glimpse of nahara in the thickets until no one was left to tell it to he was standing silent and little shikara thought it possible that he might reach his ears give ear puran he pleaded didst thou look for his body beside the ford over tarai's stream nay little one though i passed within one hundred paces dost thou not know that he and singhai would of a certainty cross at the ford from which he might watch the eastern field some of you looked on the trail beside the ford but none looked at the ford itself and the sound of the rifle seemed to come from thence but why did he not call out dead men could not call but at least ye might have frightened the horror from the body but perhaps he is wounded unable to speak and lies there still but puran had found another listener for his story and speedily forgot the boy he hurried over to another of the villagers Kuzru the hunter did no one look by the ford he asked almost sobbing for that is the place he had gone the native's eyes seemed to light hi little one thou hast thought of what thy elders had forgotten there is level land there and clear, and I shall go at the first ray of dawn, but not tonight, night Nay, little sinner, wouldst thou have me torn to pieces?" Lastly little Shikara went to his own father, and they had a moment's talk at the outskirts of the throng, but the answer was nay, just the same. Even his brave father would not go to look for the body until daylight came. The boy felt his skin prickling all over but perhaps he is only wounded and left to die if i go and return with word that he is there wilt thou take others and go out and bring him in thou goest his father broke forth in a great roar of laughter why thou little hawk one would think that thou wert a hunter of tigers thyself little shikara blushed beneath the laughter for he was a very boyish little boy in most ways but it seemed to him that his sturdy young heart was about to break open from bitterness all of them agreed that warwick sahib perhaps wounded and dying might be lying by the ford but none of them would venture forth to see unknowing he was beholding the expression of a certain age-old trait of human nature men do not fight ably in the dark they need their eyes and they particularly require a definite object to give them determination if these villagers knew for certain that the protector of the poor lay wounded or even dead beside the ford they would have rallied bravely encouraged one another with words and oaths and gone forth to rescue him but they wholly lacked the courage to venture again into the jungle on any such blind quest as little shikara suggested but the boy's father should not have laughed he should have remembered the few past occasions when his straight little son had gone into the jungle alone and that remembrance should have silenced him the difficulty lay in the fact that he supposed his boy and he were of the same flesh and that little shikara shared his own great dread of the night curtain jungle in this he was very badly mistaken little shikara had an inborn understanding and love of the jungle and except for such material dangers as that of Nahara, he was not afraid of it at all. He had no superstitions in regard to it. Perhaps he was too young. But the main thing that the laugh did was to set off, as a match sets off powder, a whole heartful of unexploded indignation in Shikara's breast. These villagers not only had deserted their patron and protector, but also they had laughed at the thought of rescue. His own father had laughed at him. Little Shikara silently left the circle of villagers and turned into the darkness. At once the jungle silence closed round him. He hadn't dreamed that the noise of the villagers would die so quickly, although he could still see the flame of the fire at the village gate behind him. It was almost as if he had at once dropped off into another world. Great flowers poured perfume down upon him, and at seemingly a great distance he heard the faint murmur of the wind at first deep down in his heart he had really not intended to go all the way he had expected to steal clear to the outer edge of the firelight and then stand listening to the darkness for such impressions as the jungle would choose to give him but there had been no threshold no interlude of preparation the jungle in all its mystery had folded about him at once he trotted softly down the elephant trail a dim fleet shadow that even the keen eyes of nahara could scarcely have seen at first he was too happy to be afraid he was always happy when the jungle closed round him besides if nahara had killed she would be full fed by now and not to be feared little shikara hastened on trembling all over with a joyous sort of excitement if a single bird had flapped its wings in the branches if one little rodent had stirred in the underbrush little shikara would likely have turned back but the jungle gods knowing their son stilled all the forest voices he crept on still looking now and again over his shoulder to see the village fire it still made a bright yellow triangle in the dusk behind him he didn't stop to think that he was doing a thing most grown natives and many white men would not have dared to do to follow a jungle trail unarmed at night if he had stopped to think at all He simply would have been unable to go on he was only following his instincts Voices that such forces as maturity and grown-up intelligence and self-consciousness obscure in older men and The terror of the jungle could not touch him He went straight to do what service he could do for the white sahib that was one of his lesser gods time after time he halted but always he pushed on a few more feet and now he was over halfway to the ford clear to the forks in the trail and then he turned about with a little gasp of fear the light from the village had gone out the thick foliage of the jungle had come between he was really frightened now it wasn't that he was afraid he couldn't get back the trail was broad and hard and quite gray in the moonlight but those far-off beams of light had been a solace to his spirit a reminder that he had not yet broken all ties with the village he halted intending to turn back and then a thrill began at his scalp and went clear to his bare toes faint through the jungle silences he heard warwick sahib calling to his faithless beaters the voice had an unmistakable quality of distress certain of the villagers a very few of them said afterward that little shikara continued on because he was afraid to go back they said that he looked upon the heaven-born sahib as a source of all power in whose protection no harm could befall him And he sped toward him because the distance was shorter than back to the haven of fire at the village But those who could look deeper into little Sukara's soul knew different in some degree at least He hastened on down that jungle trail of peril because he knew that his idol was in distress and by laws that went deep he knew he must go to his aid. Part 5 The first few minutes after Warwick had heard a living step in the thickets he spent in trying to reload his rifle. He carried other cartridges in the right-hand trousers pocket, but after a few minutes of futile effort it became perfectly evident that he was not able to reach them. His right arm was useless, and the fingers of his left lacerated by the mugger's bite refused to take hold. He had however three of the five shells the rifle held still in his gun The single question that remained was whether or not they would be of use to him The rifle lay half under him its stock protruding from beneath his body with the elbow of his left arm He was able to work it out Considering the difficulties under which he worked he made amazingly few false motions, and yet he worked with swiftness Warwick was a man who had been schooled and trained by many dangers. He had learned to face them with open eyes and steady hands, to judge with unclouded thought the exact percentage of his chances. He knew now that he must work swiftly. The shape in the shadow was not going to wait all night. But at that moment the hope of preserving his life that he had clung to until now broke like a bubble in the sunlight. He could not lift the gun to swing and aim it at a shape in the darkness with his mutilated hands He could not cock the strong springed hammer And if he could do both these things with his fumbling bleeding lacerated fingers his right hand could not be made to pull the trigger Warwick sahib knew at last just where he stood Yet if human sight could have penetrated that dusk it would have beheld no change of expression in the lean face an english gentleman lay at the frontier of death but that occasioned neither fawning nor a loss of his rigid self-control two things remained however that he might do one was to call and continue to call as long as life lasted in his body he knew perfectly that more than once in the history of india a tiger had been kept at a distance at least for a short period of time by shouts alone in that interlude perhaps help might come from the village the second thing was almost as impossible as raising and firing the rifle but by the luck of the gods, he might achieve it he wanted to find singai's knife and hold it compressed in his palm it wasn't that he had any vain hopes of repelling the tiger's attack with a single knife blade that would be practically impossible for his mutilated hand to hold nahara had five or so knife-blades in every paw and a whole set of them in her mouth she could stand on four legs and fight and warwick could not lift himself on one elbow and yet wield the blade but there were other things to be done with blades even held loosely in the palm at a time like this he knew rather too much of the way of tigers they do not always kill swiftly It is the tiger way to tease long moments with half-bared talons, to let the prey crawl away a few feet for the rapture of leaping at it again, to fondle with an exquisite cruelty for moments that seem endless to its prey. A knife, on the other hand, kills quickly. Warwick much preferred the latter death. And even as he called again and again, he began to feel about in the grass with his lacerated hand for the hilt of the knife. Nahara was steadily stealing toward him through the shadows. The great tigress was at the height of her hunting madness. The earlier adventure of the evening, when she had missed her stroke, the stir and tumult of the beaters in the woods, her many days of hunger, had all combined to intensify her passion, and finally there had come the knowledge in subtle ways that two of her own kind of game were lying wounded and helpless beside the ford but even the royal tiger never forgets some small measure of its caution she did not charge at once the game looked so easy that it was in some way suggestive of a trap she crept forward a few feet at a time the wild blood began to leap through the great veins the hair went stiff on the neck muscles but warwick shouted and the sound for an instant appalled her she lurked in the shadows and then as she made a false step warwick heard her for the first time Again she crept forward to pause when Warwick raised his voice the second time. The man knew enough to call at intervals rather than continuously. A long continued outcry would very likely stretch the tiger's nerves to a breaking point and hurl her into a frenzy that would probably result in a death dealing charge. Every few seconds he called again. In the intervals between, the tiger crept forward. Her excitement grew upon her. She crouched lower her sinewy tail had whipped softly at first now it was lashing almost to her sides and finally it began to have a slight vertical movement that warwick fortunately for his spirit could not see then the little light that the moon poured down was suddenly reflected in nahara's eyes all at once they burned out of the dusk two blue-green circles of fire fifty feet distant in the darkness at that warwick gasped for the first time In another moment the great cat would be in range, and he had not yet found the knife. Nothing remained to believe but that it was lost in the mud of the ford, fifty feet distant, and that the last dread avenue of escape was cut off. But at that instant the gasp gave way to a whispered oath of wonder. Some living creature was running lightly down the trail toward him. Soft, light feet that came with amazing swiftness. For once in his life, Warwick did not know where he stood. For once, he was the chief figure of a situation he did not entirely understand. He tried to probe into the darkness with his tired eyes. Here I am, he called. The tiger, starting to creep forward once more, halted at the voice. A small, straight figure sped like an arrow out of the thickets and halted at his side. It was such an astounding appearance as for an instant completely paralyzes the mental faculties. Warwick's first emotion was simply a great and hopeless astonishment. Long inured to the mystery of the jungle, he thought he had passed the point where any earthly happening could actually bewilder him. But in spite of it, in spite of the fire-eyed peril in the darkness, he was quite himself when he spoke the voice that came out of the silence was wholly steady a kindly almost amused voice of one who knows life as it is and who has mastered his own destiny who in the world he asked in the vernacular it is i little shikara a tremulous voice answered except for the tremor he could not keep from his tone he spoke as one man to another Warwick knew at once that little Shikara was not yet aware of the presence of the tiger fifty feet distant in the shadows, but he knew nothing else. The whole situation was beyond his ken, but his instincts were manly and true. "'Then run speedily, little one,' he whispered, "'back to the village. There is danger here in the dark.' Little Shikara tried to speak, and he swallowed painfully. A lump had come in his throat that at first would not let him talk nay protector of the poor he answered i i came alone and i i am thy servant warwick's heart bounded not since his youth had left him to a gray world had his strong heart leaped in just this way before merciful god he whispered in english has a child come to save me then he whipped again into the vernacular and spoke swiftly for no further seconds were to be wasted Little Shikara, have you ever fired a gun? No, Sahib. Then lift it up and rest it across my body. Thou knowest how it is held? Little Shikara didn't know exactly, but he rested the gun on Warwick's body, and he had seen enough target practice to crook his finger about the trigger. And together, the strangest pair of huntsmen that the Indian stars ever looked down upon, they waited. It is Nahara. Warwick explained softly, for he had decided to be frank with little Shikara, trusting all to the courage of a child. It all depends on thee. Pull back the hammer with thy thumb." Little Shikara obeyed. He drew it back until it clicked, and did not, as Warwick had feared, let it slip through his fingers back against the breech. "'Yes, Sahib,' he whispered breathlessly. His little brave heart seemed about to explode in his breast. But it was the test, and he knew he must not waver in the Sahib's eyes. "'It is Nahara, and thou art a man,' Warwick said again. "'And now thou must wait until thou seest her eyes.' And so they strained into the darkness, and in an instant more they saw again the two circles of greenish, smouldering fire. They were quite near now. Nahara was almost in leaping range thou wilt look through the little hole at the rear and then along the barrel warwick ordered swiftly and thou must see the two eyes along the little notch in front i see sahib and between the eyes came the same breathless whisper the little brown body held quite still warwick could not even feel it trembling against his own for the moment by virtue of some strange prank of sheev the jungle gods were giving their own strength to this little brown son of theirs beside the ford thou wilt not jerk or move nay sahib and he spoke true the world might break to pieces or blink out but he would not throw off his aim by any terror motions they could see the tiger's outline now the lithe low-hung body the tail that twitched up and down then pull the trigger warwick whispered the whole jungle world rocked and trembled from the violence of the report when the villagers aroused by the roar of the rifle and led by Kuzru and puran and little shikara's father rushed down with their firebrands to the ford their first thought was that they had come only to the presence of the dead three human beings lay very still beside the stream and fifty feet in the shadows something else that obviously was not a human being lay very still too but they were not to have any such horror story to tell their wives only one of the three by the ford singhai the gun bearer was even really unconscious little shikara the rifle still held lovingly in his arms had gone into a half faint from fear and nervous exhaustion and warwick sahib had merely closed his eyes to the darting light of the firebrands the only death that had occurred was that of Nahara the tigress, and she had a neat hole bored completely through her neck. To all evidence, she had never stirred after little Shikara's bullet had gone home. After much confusion and shouting and falling over one another and gazing at little Shikara as if he were some new kind of a ghost, the villagers got a stretcher each for Singhai and the protector of the poor, and when they got them well loaded into them, and little shikara had quite come to himself and was standing with some bewilderment in a circle of staring townspeople a clear commanding voice ordered that they all be silent warwick sahib was going to make what was the nearest approach to a speech that he had made since various of his friends had decoyed him to a dinner in london some years before the words that he said the short vernacular words that have a way of coming straight to the point established little shikara as a legend through all that corner of british india it was little shikara who had come alone through the jungle said he It was little Shikara's shining eyes that had gazed along the barrel and it was his own brown finger that had pulled the trigger And thus said warwick he would get the bounty that the british government offered British rupees that to a child's eyes would be past counting and thus in time with warwick's influence he would be a great voice through all of india for small as he was and not yet grown he was of the true breed after the shouting was done warwick turned to little shikara to see how he thought upon all these things thou shalt have training for the army little one where thy good nerve will be of use and thou shalt be a native officer along with the sons of princes i myself will see to it for i do not hold my life so cheap that i will forget the thing that thou hast done to-night and he meant what he said the villagers stood still when they saw his earnest face and what little hawk wilt thou have more he asked little shikara trembled and raised his eyes only sometimes to ride with thee in thy howdah as thy servant when thou again seekest the tiger the whole circle laughed at this they were just human after all their firebrands were held high and gleamed on little shikara's dusky face and made a luster in his dark eyes the circle roaring with laughter did not hear the sahib's reply but they did see him nod his head i would not dare go without thee now warwick told him and thus little shikara's dreams came true to be known through many villagers as a hunter of tigers and a brave follower and comrade of the forest trails and thus he came into his own in those far-off glades of burma in the jungles of the Manipur. end of the heart of little Shakara